you have a Bible with you, if you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 to 20. Matthew 17, 14 to 20. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him, that would be Jesus, and said, Lord, we have, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I'm sure you have, some of you have been Christian for a while. You have sat in services and preacher had shown you what a mustard seed looked like. Right? Now to make this more interesting, I need you to say amen. <laughs> I'm not here to entertain you, Right? I'm here to work with you, yeah? We're just going to walk this together, right? Amen. You encourage me, I encourage you, okay? So, so uh, uh, anyway, so I know that you're alive. Right? How many know that mustard seed is so small that it's unnoticeable? So Jesus seems to be having a contradictory statement here. First he says, your faith, you don't have enough faith. You, don't, you, you, you have such little faith. He didn't say they don't have enough faith. They have so little faith, he said. And the very next statement is say, all you need is a little faith. It didn't sound any, what? You know, if I was sitting there and go, what are you talking about, Jesus? Right? So first he said, oh, you have so little faith. And then later on he said, you just need a faith that is so small that it's almost unnoticeable. That would be enough. So what is Jesus talking about? Let me ask you this question. Do you think your faith is noticeable? Show me your hand if you think your faith is noticeable. There's no condemnation. Just show me your hands. Do you think your faith is noticeable right now? Well, some of you are not too sure because you think it's a trick question. It is not a trick question. So it's like, I don't know. I think, it, I think it's a trap, you know. It's not a trap. I say your faith is more noticeable than a mustard seed because you're here, your family know that you're here, your friends know that you're here, some of you even brought your friends and relatives here. Of course your faith is noticeable. So why can't you move mountain? Well, let me ask you another question. Do you not think the disciple at the time when Jesus spoke to them had bigger faith than us? Oh, come on, they left everything. The Zebedee's brothers, they left John, John and James. They left everything they had with their father. Just said goodbye, boom, then left and followed Jesus. And, you know, Peter and Simon, same thing. All the rest of the disciples, they, they left everything to follow Jesus. Wouldn't you think their faith is bigger than our faith? And if that is the case, why is it then Jesus say you have no faith or you little faith? Why did Jesus even bother to ask them to have faith as unnoticeable as a mustard seed? A size of a mustard seed. You know, many of you sitting here this morning, you have been believing in God for a miracle in your life. 
You're believing and praying and believing. And I think you think, you feel that you have a faith of at least as big of a mustard seed. It's not bigger. I mean, come on, you follow what the preachers told you. You know, they prescribed to you. You pray this, do this, believe and confess. And you did all that. And guess what? What happened? But you did have a faith bigger than the mustard seed. So what is Jesus talking about? I think there's a huge disconnect. There's a huge disconnect. If this thing called faith, okay, now I'm, I'm just trying to redefine it now, right? If this thing called faith can work even when it is as tiny, as insignificant, as the size of a mustard seed. And what Jesus is telling us is true. Many of us would have seen our faith working already. No. Come on, let's ask some tough question here. Many of our faith is as good as chance, if not worse. 50% or less. I know we're trying to be, trying to defend Jesus. Don't want to embarrass him. You don't have to defend Jesus. He's all good on his own. Are you here this morning? He's the God who created the whole universe. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords. He doesn't need you to defend him. So don't need to worry about defending Jesus and embarrassing him. He can never get embarrassed. The reason we're going through this exercise today is because I want to see that you and I live in great faith that we can actually see miracles and what Jesus is saying is true. I think sometimes we need to be reckless in our belief system, meaning that we will not accept no. Talk about recklessness. I was sharing with a few people just this week. I was listening to uh, Kenneth Hagen the other day while I was sleeping. <laughs> and um, this is, he, he said something really daring. And I don't think I'll ever dare to do that. I don't think most of us dare to do that, but he did. And therefore, his faith is reckless, and therefore, he sees all miracles. He had never seen a prayer not answered. Isn't that amazing? So one time, he was preaching, and his, his son was at Matthew's age and, and went swimming while he was away. And, you know, so the son went swimming, and... And he contracted this disease called the Asian flu. How many of you heard of the Asian flu? You know, like, I don't know why they call it Asian flu, but it actually came from the South Pacific. And the reason it came from the South Pacific, because a lot of the veterans stationed in uh, the Philippines and Japan, different places. And so they contracted this Asian flu. And this Asian flu has a symptom that cannot be cured ever. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an incurable disease. It's not terminal, but it's incurable. So in order for you to live, uh, to live uh, a full life, what you have to do is for Asian flu is you need to go to the doctor every three months and they're going to scrape up the fungus in your ears. And so the boy can never swim again. He can only live in a dry places like Dallas, no, sorry, Texas, Arizona, those dry places. And but the boy and his mom, you know, went to church. They were part of faithful, faithful in the local church, you know, even though, you know, uh, Brother Hagen is traveling around and preaching, but the family is very faithful to the local church. And, um, and so they, they, they asked the local church pastor to pray for them, and, 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 and he, he's a man of God. He's seen a lot of miracles happen in his life, and so pray for him, and nothing happened. And so when Brother Hagen came home, and he prayed for him, and then, you know, and then he went off again. And then a couple of weeks later, he received a letter from the wife saying, you know, nothing's happening, and... So he went to the Lord and prayed. And this is what he said. He said, dear Jesus, 
if you were to come down from your throne, standing right in front of me, and say to me, if I have no faith in believing in you, then I will tell you that you are a liar. You say, can you talk to God like that? I don't know, but he did. <laughs> He's a man of God, you know. And then he said, Lord, if what you say is true, then why is it my son is not getting healed? Because you say, if I need faith of a mustard seed, actually, he didn't even talk about mustard seed. He said, if I need faith, and I have faith, and I believe you, why is it my son is not getting healed? He said, you know, if I have faith and your word is true and my son is not healed, this is what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to go back to all the churches that I preached in. I'm going to tell them that all I said was not true and that Jesus is a liar. The Bible is a lie. <laughs> when I was hearing that, I was like, I got, I got awoken, awakened in my sleep. It's like, what? <laughs> That's a bonus there, right? That's reckless. I think sometimes we need to have that kind of reckless faith. You see what happened to the story? Well, anyways, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. The Holy Spirit said, your son has been leaning his faith on you. He's not believing in me. He's believing in your faith. You know, a lot of us Christians, we believe in the preacher's faith. So we ask people to pray for us, which is fine. But that's when you're young in the Lord, you're young in your faith. But God wants you to hook your faith on Him, not on somebody else's faith. And that's why a lot of people want to go to big crusades, you know, healing, you know, healing crusade or, 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 or go to healing school or whatever. This is fine. But you know, your faith and my faith can never be hooked onto somebody else's faith or somebody else's ability to talk to God and see miracles happen. Your faith and my faith must come to the point that we can, we can lean on God directly, not through some saints or not through some miracle worker, but we lean on God. So I encourage you, you know, throughout this church, you and I need to learn that, you know, when we see somebody get sick, don't go, oh, I'm so sorry for you. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Have you tried Tylenol before? <laughs> Have you seen a doctor? I mean, I want to encourage you because this is the hour of great miracles. I said, this is the hour of great miracle. Hello. You and I need to learn how to have the bonus. If somebody is saying sick, you just go ahead and just pray for them. You say, well, you know, I have I've sinned in my life. Well, we're sin and bound. Grace is much more bound. Repent and move on, right? But just pray for them. And say, in Jesus' name. And don't just pray. You need to ask questions. So how do you feel? And the reason we don't ask questions is because we worry that it might not work and we'd be embarrassed. Come on, if the truth be told, yeah? You pray, oh, Lord, heal. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Praise God. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I just don't want to know. You just worry that it might not work. But I want to encourage you to have bonus. Everybody say bonus. Have some bonus. So what if it doesn't work? But what if it does? Boy, it's going to give you such a boost in your faith. No risk, no reward. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Take a bit of a chance, man. You say, I don't have the anointing. Nonsense. You have the Holy Spirit in you. That's anointing enough. Hello. So, Get back to my sermon. I just totally digress. 
You know, I just want to tell you this. Another thing about faith as small as the mustard seed. Do you realize that Jesus is not actually talking about the size of faith here? Jesus is saying the size of your faith is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if it's a small faith, big faith, you know, mid-sized faith, you know. How do I know that? Well, two things. That's how the Bible talks. You remember 2 Peter chapter two, 3? Go ahead and turn to it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. You know, Peter said this, right, about the second coming of Jesus, you know. He said, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And I've heard people, Bible teacher, for goodness sake, saying, you know, for the Lord, one day is a thousand years, a thousand is one day, and therefore, it's, you know, if Jesus said it's seven days, and therefore, it's 7,000 years, he's going to show up. And so, therefore, when we hit the year 2000, that's why when, when Y2K comes, everybody thought Jesus was coming back, because it's a 7,000 years. This is not what Peter is saying. What Peter is saying, if you're a scientist, engineer, whatever, you know what he's saying. This is, in, in physics, we call it quantum gravity. Actually, it's quantum mechanics and relativity mixed together when, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm just getting so technical. But, you know, we have some engineers in the house. You understand this, is that when, quant when you are outside gravity and you're traveling at 50% of the speed of light, your spaceship, in your spaceship, when you have already experienced one hour in your spaceship, traveling at 50% of the light of speed outside gravity, when you would come back to earth, there would have been a hundred million years passed by on earth. If you would travel at not, you know, I, the number is not accurate. I'm just throwing the number out just to get, make a point. You can research the number. But if you're traveling at 95% of the speed of light outside gravity in your spaceship for an hour, you come back to Earth. The Earth would have had many, many millions and millions and millions and billions of your past. Right? Some of you in physics, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not in physics, don't worry. Just trust me. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> in other words... Peter already knew about quantum gravity. Peter already knew as far as God is concerned, time is irrelevant. You know, we have Google these days. Go and Google it. You'll be, you'll be finding very fascinating reading about physics, quantum, quantum mechanics, uh, relativity, quantum gravities, all those mumbo-jumbos, fantastic ideas. So what Peter is saying is for God, God is at the speed of light. He is light. Hello, are you here? And for him, if you travel at the speed of light, time is no longer relevant. As in size, no longer. Now, let's get back to size, okay? So that you can know what I'm talking about. You see, you know, uh, in the parallel scriptures in Luke chapter 17, verse 5 to 6, same thing happened, right? They're trying to do something. There's no faith. Go ahead and turn to it. The apostle said, increase our faith. Now, how many of you have sat in the services that have preached telling you how to grow your faith? Come on, be honest. Raise your hand. Let me see. There's nothing shy about it. Have you ever heard preachers say, you need to grow your faith? Come on. I'm not the only one who has gone to church, right? Have you not had people taught you how to grow your faith? Well, you know the Bible never taught you how to grow your faith. 
How do you know that? Well, I read the Bible many, few, quite a few times over. And then there's a search engine that you can actually use called Google. You can Google it, and there's really no teaching on the grow of faith from the Bible. But there are many preachers who will tell you how you can grow your faith, and they list out scriptures. None of those scriptures said that, say how you can grow your faith. They're just implying how you can grow your faith. Now, the Bible did say that you can grow wisdom in the Lord. You can grow in knowledge in the Lord. You can even grow in confidence. Grow in stature. Grow in favor. Not growing in faith. And that's what happened here. They asked, the apostle asked, increase our faith. What is Jesus saying? If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, in other words, don't worry about it. Even if you have a faith of a mustard seed, so insignificant that nobody even noticed it, they work. Don't worry about growing your faith. Now grow in, grow in the love for Jesus, of course. You know, grow in the grace. 2 Peter 3.18, it's not there. 1 Samuel 26, you know, talk about, you know, Samuel was growing in favor and wisdom. And even Jesus in the word, the book, the, 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 the. I got so much information when it come out and my tongue is not moving fast enough. That's the problem. I trip over myself. Why is Jesus wanting, not answering the question? Because the size is irrelevant. You know, in the world we're living in, size matters, right? Hello. For God, size is irrelevant. Your faith, size is irrelevant. As long as you have it. You can increase in confidence. For example, when you have, you know, we have a faith of mustard seed, you start to pray for people uh, with, a, with, a, with, with a sneezing problem. You know, you try it, you know, it worked. You go, it, now you're increasing your confidence. You didn't increase your faith. You're just increasing confidence, right? That's not faith. We're going to find out what faith is, okay? So if I were to title my sermon, you saw it just now. I just finished my introduction. So if I were to title my sermon, you know, I figure before we go to two services, I can indulge in going over time a little bit, right? Yes, amen? So once we go to two services, I've got to be really be on time. Um, but, you know, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit over time because i got so much information, but I know you're going to grow and you're going to learn. Amen? Yes? Would you rather grow and learn and then stay here a little bit longer or, or go home quickly and learn nothing? Never mind. Okay. So I'm going to title my sermon today, Faith... Or just wishful thinking? Faith or wishful thinking? Here it is. I designed this myself. <laughs> Every time we go to pray, right? We don't do it. But in our heart, it's like that. I pray that it work. It work. <laughs> oh come on right we all do that of course on Sunday you come on people pray for you just act cool right oh hallelujah yes ooh I feel it ooh. but inside it's like that okay let's find out how faith works amen you want your faith to work yes and you want, I, I, I want my faith to work. Oh, here it is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We all know about this scripture. But I'm going to draw your attention to a certain things today. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. How many of you read this a million times? 
Maybe a couple of thousand, maybe a couple of hundred, maybe a dozen times. Right? Okay, whatever. So you read it before, right? And in Amplified Version, it says, Now faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of the reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by physical senses. So there are two things in your faith that you need. Two ingredients. Do you know what they are? Number one is substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Because faith without the substance, something that is tangible, it's just hope. We all have hope. Right? Oh, I hope to be a millionaire. Well, good luck, right? But if your hope have something that is tangible, I'm going to talk about that, this substance, then faith is going to come into play. Because if your hope have no substance, it's a wishful thinking. That's number one. Number two is that you need some kind of evidence, some kind of conviction, some kind of assurance, some proof, not necessarily direct proof, but has to be a proof nonetheless. Now, many of you have been, been to university before. You take math courses or computer science courses or physics. Or mathematics. And in university, if you ever take any science or whatever, if you want to prove something, what usually you need to do is to take the principles that have been established called theorems. Are you here? Some of you are smart people, right? Just nod your head, right? Don't, don't make me look, feel like an idiot. Just nod your head. Say, yes, yes, yes. We know what you're talking about. Okay. Theorems, some, you know, some of you know what theorems are, right? Theorems are established facts that have been proven to be correct. And you use all these theorems, all these principles that is not really directly proving what it is that you're hypothesizing or what you think that you're conjuring, but that you can use those theorems to actually prove something that is not there. So for example, if... I don't know how to use example without just being too technical. Well, actually, let's, let's do something else. How many of you know the, the show called CSI? Oh, come on. You know CSI, right? Don't look at me so spiritual. CSI, right? And some of you enjoy watching the show called CSI. And you know, CSI is that somebody committed a crime, but nobody was there. Now, how do they catch the culprit? How do they catch the criminal? Or what they do is that they look for, watch this, circumstantial evidence. Smoking gun, as it were. They may not be there to, to directly prove, have camera and videos to prove what had happened, but they can indirectly prove that it happened. Our faith is the same thing. Go to Romans chapter 1. We can prove that God is real. Well, people say, well, can you really prove that? Have you seen God? Well, this is what Paul says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. 
who by the unrighteousness suppressed the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Hiding in plain sight, in other words, right? Because God has shown it to them. How? For his invisible attributes, invisible now, namely his eternal power and divine nature, had been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. In other words, you cannot say you look at the creation of the world and think there is no God. Now, these days, the Bible says fools think that there is no God, so they conjure up with all the theory. They're telling you that your body, which is a trillion times more complex than this iPad, comes from some kind of cosmo accident, and yet they need to make this. If you cannot believe that this iPad can come along itself with some kind of metals forming itself, how can you possibly imagine something that is a trillion times more complex comes from itself? You can't. In other words, man has no excuse. You can conjure up with all kinds of theories. Oh, it happens over hundreds of millions of years. Sorry. It still makes no sense. Whew, I'm excited. Now, in Christian circle, there's a big confusion between wishful thinking, human faith, and biblical faith. If you talk to a lot of Christians, you can tell they're really confused between wishful thinking, human faith, and spiritual faith, biblical faith. Now let me go through that, okay? Number one is wishful thinking. Like I say, wishful thinkings are some kind of dreams with no facts, no evidence, no substance. Let me give you an example. Say a young man, he has a dream to be an NBA player. We all know those young men, right? I know of this specific young man. I will not name his name, but I saw him grow up. And when he was younger, he was so confident and so believed that he would be picked up by those NBA scouts. Now, he really believed that. But if you ask him, there's really no substance to his belief. It's just a pipe dream. Meaning, he doesn't have extraordinary talents to dunk the basket, to dunk the ball. And that every time he plays a game, his score is average. So there's really no substance there. And that he doesn't like to practice. <laughs> he thought because of his height, maybe because of his good look, and maybe because he had made his mom bought literally hundreds if not thousands of dollars of regalia, looked like an NBA player. He got shoes that are more expensive than my iPad. And he thought, okay, that's the, I, I am it. I'm the next NBA player. Come to find out later on, he couldn't even make practice on time. And then people ask, how come you don't have the scoring points that you need to become very good? He said, because my coach despised me. Blame game. So there's no substance to his faith. There's no evidence to his faith. There's no wins, no recognition, no scholarship inconsistent performance, 
really no clear pathway. It's like when I was in high school, I thought I had the brain to become a brain surgeon. I actually thought that. You asked Debbie. She's mocking me these days about those stories. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. But there's no substance to it. The only reason why I desired to be a brain surgeon is because I was insecure. I thought people would respect me if I was a brain surgeon. And that I have lots of money. That's always important. But there's no substance. I didn't score 99% in all my GPA. I assume if you, if you really believe that you have been called or you, 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 that's your career, then your GPA in university, especially during pre-meds in the first four years of your, your, your undergraduate, your GPA should be close to 4.0. Right, Brother John? All those doctors, right? You got smart marks. But if you're suffering at 2.1, there's no evidence. There's no substance. Furthermore, if you want to be a brain surgeon and you faint in front of a blood, well, there's no evidence that you can be a brain surgeon. There's no substance. There's no evidence. And you hate looking at brain, but because it's prestigious, you want to be a brain surgeon. Everything that we hope for must have substance. Everything that we're not seeing yet to come to pass must have some kind of evidence, directly or indirectly. That's human faith because it's based on facts presented and it's logical in the mind. But the Bible hasn't called us to live with human faith because, friends, spiritual or biblical faith. Most often than not, it's not dependent on facts. It's not dependent on uh, numbers or logics. Are you here this morning? Go to Mark 11. I'll show you the scripture that everybody knows. Verse 23, 22. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, does not doubt in what? Come on, talk to me. Does not doubt in what? In his heart. Faith in God is a heart issue, not a mind issue. But believes what? In his heart. That what he says will come to pass. Believe in his heart. What he says will come to pass. It will done for him. So in other words, spiritual faith is heart-based, meaning spirit-based. Human faith is fact-based and mind-based. Now, let me stop right here and just caution all believers. Because that is the truth, most believers then become super confused between wishful thinking and spiritual faith. Because now they have thrown all logics, they've thrown all facts out the door because they're told hey, it's hard faith, it's not logic faith. So you have a lot of Christians going around the world. Oh, the Lord told me. Now, I hope you're going to love me after I say this. Many people, many Christians use God told me 
in the conversation to assert the decision. When they use God told me, they're basically telling you, don't need your opinion, don't need your advice, shut up. Because God told me. This very same spiritual people, if you were to look at their life, how they make decisions, you know God definitely did not tell them nothing. Jesus himself said, you can judge the tree by what? By what? And some of the people have zero fruits in their life. And yet they say, God told me this, God told me that. Do you know what it means to use the name of God in vain? This is it. You know the reason why we say God told me this and God told me that is because we are not confident in what we say is true because we have no track record. So to put a God thing in makes us feel more confident. Makes people respect our decision. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, even if God had told you, I will be a smart person to keep it to myself. You know the Jewish people, many of you know Jewish people, they wouldn't even mention God. In their writing, they will only write G-D. D. Praise the Praise the Because they're so fearful of the name of God. You know Isaiah when he come to the Lord, you know, wouldn't you say Isaiah is like holy and righteous and you know servant of God, so awesome. And yet when God show up, he's like, Oh my god, oh I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. There's such a fear in that person's heart. And then we treat God so lightly. Oh, God told me this. God told me that. There was a brother in this church, you know. He's like, he always sounds very spiritual. Very spiritual. Very spiritual. He's not here anymore so I can use him. I don't even think he's watching this so I can use him. If he's watching, repent, brother. Anyways. He sat in my office. He was going out with this, this young girl that started coming to church. Young girls, don't fall for those spiritual people so easily. Don't fall for people so easily. Look at their lives. Look at the fruits of their life before you give your heart away. Guard your heart because it's treasure. Don't give it away so easily. Watch and observe the guy. I don't care if he's a million dollars. That's a start, by the way. <laughs> when you have a daughter, you know what I'm talking about. Tell my daughter, I need to see the bank account of that fellow, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding around, man. Don't walk away of my service, you know. <laughs> I'm just joking. So, you know, don't give your heart away. But this guy said to me that the Lord told him that she is the one. And before you know it, they were like, you know, doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Doing some Bible study and then something else. 
six months later, the Lord seemed to have changed his mind. What happened to the Lord told you? And this is what they always say. Oh, you know, I heard it wrong. They can so easily just wipe it away. There's no fear. No reverence. And that's the problem with them many believers. They think their emotion is the Lord. Because they've been told that spiritual faith and biblical faith does not require facts. It's just required that you believe. They're confused between that and wishful thinking. And so they go, oh, you know, I, I believe the Lord called me to become a surgeon. Well, is there any substance to your belief? Is there any evidence to your belief? If 1201, and I have a big point to make, let me do a survey. How many of you want to stick around for the next 15 minutes? How many of you cannot? Everybody close your eyes. Only me see. You cannot see. I, I just want to see. If you cannot, just be honest. They're not going to continue on. Because I don't want to rush this. Then you don't learn anything, right? Are you good? All right, okay. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, what is the substance the Bible is talking about? What is this biblical or God kind of faith that is heart-based, that the mind, in fact, will not receive or able to receive and that has substance. So I'm going to talk about substance first. Then we'll talk about evidence second. Okay, first, substance. I will propose to you that there are two things in substance. Number one is found in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You all know this scripture really well. The word of God says, Paul says, faith comes by hearing, from hearing, hearing through the rhema of Christ. Not logos, rhema of Christ. How do you know the difference between rhema and logos in Greek? No, in English word, we only have one word called word. Right? But in Greek, there are different words that we don't have enough vocabulary in English to represent. The word here is taken from the Greek word rhema. Some of you know what that is. Rhema is a spoken word. When you see a Greek word, logos, that's the written word. That would be your Bible. Now what it means is that faith comes when you hear a spoken word. In the context of this scripture, Paul is talking about going to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, you know. He's going to preach the gospel because faith comes by people hearing us speak the word. And that's what I'm doing right now is to increase faith in you by speaking the word of God over your life. And when you hear the word, that's why your faith increases. That's why I don't go to churches that speak the word, that doesn't speak the word and discourage you. Sometimes you hear those spiritual or sermon or whatever. After you listen to them, you feel more discouraged. I mean, who wants that? Come on. You only have one life to live. Live them well. 
and guard every word that's coming to your ears. Have a, have a, have a, have a Arnold Schwarzenegger stand beside your two ears. Make sure nobody goes in. I don't know if you get that. You need to guard what you hear. Guard what you hear. Guard what you hear. Words of doubt, word of confusion, reject them in Jesus' name. Word of faith, bring them on. Hang out with people that talk faith all the time. But this rhema word of Christ is something else. It's God speaking to you directly. How? Using the written word and using sometimes servants like me. This is how it works. I can talk away, blah, 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 blah. If there's no Holy Spirit, it would just sound like blah, blah, blah. And that's why some people would sleep in my service. I hope it's not you. But what the Holy Spirit does is take what I say and give it a life. And when you receive it, in you now, for all that I've said so far, your spirit will go, that's right. Yes? Did you not feel that when I preach just now? I make different statements. You go, that's right. Yes? So I made a lot of statements just now. And many of the statements, most of them, hopefully you'll go, that's right. What he's saying is true. What is that? This is what happened. The word, God takes my words, mix it. You receive it by faith in your heart. You have this thing called the spirit living in you. Your spirit man that is born again, that has been touched and filled with the Holy Spirit, go, that is true. And that's why the word of God says that in those days, Jesus says, well, before he was passed away, he said, in those days, that will be the day after he was, he was crucified, resurrected. In those days, you would need not other people to teach you because you already have the Holy Spirit and he will show you all things that is mine. In other words, whatever I say is already truth inside you. You may not be aware of it, but when you hear it, you go, I know it's true. That's rhema. Rhema comes in a form of preaching, but rhema also comes in a form of prophecy. Prophecy means that somebody in a modern day prophecy is confirmation. If you haven't felt in your heart, somebody come up to you and say, you know, God told me you're supposed to marry me. And, and, and you haven't felt in your heart, don't be afraid. Say, in Jesus' name, I cast you out false, false prophets. You know, they're literally, I, can't, I don't know if you know that, they're literally people in churches that use the name of God and say, God told me that you're supposed to marry me. I mean, how desperate can you be? You know, I was praying. That's right. <laughs> You know, I, I was praying. I was in a mountain seeking the Lord. And they sound very contrived and very humble. I was just so, I was, and, and, and you know, I just, I didn't have anyone in mind. I just keep it all pure. While I was praying, your face come alive. And I saw your faith. Face and the Holy Spirit told me you were it. If you haven't already known about it, I don't care how many amazing stories they tell you, disregard them. Are you here this morning? Because there has to be some kind of rhema in you to confirm it already. 
You know, sitting in my office, I have many people come as prophets to speak to me. They would sit in the office and try to manipulate how we do church, trying to tell me how I should do church. And they were always, they always come, you know, I was fasting for 10 days. And I heard from the Lord so strong. I mean, one of the, one of the gals, uh, she was attending another church, and, you know, she, she called herself a prophetess, whatever. And so she came to this church a couple of times, and then she came to my office, and she wanted us to do something. And she was like, she's like, oh, you know, yeah, I just don't need anything. You know, God, just so good. You know, I don't really care why I go to church. And they, they, they first of all want to make themselves look neutral. So nothing really, you know, whatever decision to make, it wouldn't impact her, right? Immediately, there's already red flags, you know, like inside me go lies, 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 right? And then she went on and she went, you know, I was, I was just went to a prayer retreat. Yeah. And I was speaking to the Lord. And I heard from the Lord so clearly, like he would speak to me with an audible voice. <laughs> I said to her, sister, you are not the first one, nor are you the last one to talk like that. This is not my first rodeo. I've been around the block many times. The Holy Spirit hasn't told me yet. There's no confirmation. In a very nice way, I say, please leave. <laughs> Do not ever let people's spirituality to manipulate you or using spirituality to manipulate you. Because faith, the substance of faith, is there is a confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. But that's not my main point. The main point is, I believe, the substance that Hebrew is talking about is actually being explained inside the book of Hebrew. I would propose to you that the substance Hebrew talks about in Hebrew chapter 11 speaks of this one thing. Are you ready? Obedience. Now it is very interesting that unless obedience is specifically mentioned in the whole entire chapter of, uh, of, of chapter 11, you can actually take the word obedience and replace them. No, take, the, take, take obedience and replace the you can actually replace every word that says faith with the word obedience and it will make a lot of sense. Let's do an experiment. Pull it out. Hebrew chapter 11. I give you four examples. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous God, commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and that he was not found because God had taken him. Now therefore he was taken and he was commanded as having, as having pleased God. Now go to the next slide. I change it to obedience. By obedience, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Obedient one, giving his best sacrifice to God. Cain, through which... He was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his obedience, though he died, he still speaks. In verse 5, by obedience, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And that he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. 
Next slide. It's going to get more obvious. Two examples again. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by, his, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And then verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Now, let me replace that. Then it will make a lot of sense. By obedience, wasn't Noah obeying God? By obedience, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Now, the 17 would be even more obvious. By obedience, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now, are you seeing this? Does it make sense to you? Now, let's circle back to the disciples that Jesus said they have no faith. Watch this. It's very interesting. Many people believe that all the disciples couldn't do a miracle when Jesus was around, except one time when he sent the 70 and, uh, and the 12 out to do the work. They couldn't do any miracles. People bring children to, and they just doing anything. And many people believe that it was the event of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 that had changed everything, and it did. It was the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's what we call the subsequent experience. That's why you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, being empowered. Not just speaking in tongues, just an evidence. But the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is to give you an amazing power to do amazing things. But watch this. Out of the 120 people that were filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room that day, you remember, how many of them the Bible recorded has performing all the miracles that Peter and Paul did? Hardly any. Hmm. In fact, the miracles that Peter was doing were so phenomenal that it's, it's absolutely, utterly amazing. Even his shadow can heal people. Wow. It's like Jesus. That was amazing. In other words, he didn't even try. He could still heal people. That's the faith of a master seed. Totally, you didn't even notice he was trying. And yet, he was able to heal people and see miracles. What happened? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. Yes. But why is it the rest of the people who feel the Holy Spirit didn't have that kind of power? The answer is, I will show you. John chapter 29. Sorry, 21, verse 18 to 19. I'm almost done. We are talking about substance of faith. The substance of faith is your obedience. Reckless obedience. So, after Jesus rose from the dead... And after he fed them breakfast, and Jesus had a conversation with Peter. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Right? You all remember that. And at the end, Jesus said this to him. Jesus is pronouncing his death sentence for following him. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And John said this, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. 
Then Jesus told him, follow me. At that moment, if you have received a death sentence, if you were to follow Jesus and Jesus said, you're going to obey me, you're going to have to obey me all the way to your death. Are you in or out? I think many of us will probably pack our bag and head for the hills, right? I would. <laughs> Sorry. And Peter hung around. He didn't leave. The point is that he was willing to obey Jesus to the point of death. That, my friend, is the substance of his faith. Abraham's faith was that he obeyed even to the point of killing his own son. Jesus said this, those who are not willing to forsake, some translations say hate his own family, his wife, his, his household, and follow me. It's not worthy to be my disciple. And by the way, obedience cannot be partial. Obedience, partial obedience is actually disobedience. Are you here? Do I sound scary? I'm preaching the word, yeah? How many of you decide not to come back next week after the sermon? It's like, I'm out of here, man. Just Partial obedience is disobedience. I might as well just don't do it. Now, watch this. If you notice, when I say obedience, I don't mean selective obedience or uh, object-specific obedience. Meaning, you ask God for, uh, for healing. And you will obey the word of God regarding healing through and through. And everything else in your life, you disobey God. That's not obedience. When I say obedience, I mean your life, my life, need to be completely yielded to God. Not object specific. Not prayer object specific. Do you understand that? And that's why a lot of times we come to God to believe in certain miracles. And we follow the preachers on certain instructions and it's not. Why? Because, come on, some, somebody's praying, praise the Lord. Your faith, if your faith in general in God have that substance, it just doesn't take a whole lot for a miracle. It is only when your faith is not true, have that substance of obedience in your life. And that's when you pray, you need to go, I believe. I believe. And it's not working. You come on all the prayer all the time and it's not working. Complete life obedience, even outside the area and situation that you're here, you, you are you're believing in God for for. Completely obedient. That is the substance of your faith in general. And when you have that, all you need even is an, even a no, an, an unnoticeable faith. I mean, Peter didn't even try to heal people. His shadow was healing people. That's pretty cool, don't you think? Why only Peter? What about the rest of the disciples? 
Well, you know what? Jesus never told any of the rest of the disciples that you're going to have that kind of life death sentence can handed to you if you follow me. Peter was the only one that given that, that, that prophecy how he was going to die. I mean, my goodness, who wants that kind of prophecy, right? I mean, we go to prophetic conference, all we want to hear is, oh, God wants to bless me and have a great future and I will be great influence, blah, blah, right? We all want to hear that. How do you like to hear, oh, that says the Lord, uh, I see coffin. I see you in there. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I mean, what kind of prophecy would, I mean, nobody wants to go for that. That's not popular. But this is exactly what Jesus said about him. And yet he stuck around. Partial obedience is no obedience. The substance of your faith is your obedience to God generally in life. Not object specific or request specific. When you obey God in your life as a lifestyle, things will be very easy. Who is that guy that, um, that has this orphanage that uh, he said that when he was younger, he could believe in God for uh, uh, 50 cents and then when he becomes 60 years old, he could easily believe in God for a million dollars. George Mueller? George Mueller. He said, you know, I could easily believe in God for, for 50 cents when I was younger. But as he got to 60 years old, he said, I can e as easily believe that, you know, I can believe in God for a million dollars. Where does that faith come from? Obedience. Obedience. If you cultivate your life as a life of obedience, it's easy. Okay, because of time, I'm going to jump, go to evidence. Evidence, assurance, convictions come in many forms. I spoke about it, dreams, visions, prophecy. But also follow with signs such as small wins, confirmations, miracles. For example, somebody say, I've been called to become a missionary. Have you seen anybody got saved in the ministry yet? Somehow we believe that we can actually get a lot of people saved when we go overseas. Can't even get your neighbor saved. And they want to be a missionary. How about teacher? Oh, God had called me to teach. Who has been listening to you? You know, Joyce Meyer is one of the best examples. She was called to teach. She knew that. So she, you know what she did? She tested it out. She had a Bible study. And you know, the story would go that the whole neighborhood would be packed with cars just coming to her house just to listen to her teaching. Some of us feel that we've been called to do, you know, teach and nobody comes to a Bible study. How about apostle? I've been called to be an apostle. You know, I actually had people come to me and tell me that they are my apostle. You know, the word of God says that apostle can be proven a few things. One is that they have planted churches and second of all, miracles follow them. This guy had none. But he said God told him, the Lord told him that he was the apostle over this church. Some crazy people out there. There are people that say that I have a gift to give. Millions. When God give me millions. Well, honey, if you can't even tithe, forget about it. There's no evidence of that. Let's go back to um, a basketball player. You know, instead of basketball players, talk about the NHL. You know, every parent's Many parents in Canada want their kids to be drafted into the NHL. 
right? Maybe not in this room, but you know. And what they do is they, um, they, they have the kids sign up for leagues and they drive the kids, you know, in the middle of the night everywhere, right? And you can tell a kid that's really passionate and, and, and is set for this kind of life is that even when the kids have failed, he continued to go to practice at 3 o'clock in the morning when most of you are still sleeping because he's so passionate even in the midst of failures. I can tell you who is actually called of God or not called of God to serve God is that when you serve God, most of the time things will be failing. It will be disappointment. People will disappoint in your situation, everything. But if your passion is still running high in spite of the price that you have to pay, then I know your call. The test of our call is not when we are successful. Far from it. The test of our call is when we fail. We still are very passionate about it. You know, every time when God calls someone to serve God, the monkey, the monkey, God will, you know, the devil will throw all the monkey wrenches at you. Some of you say, what is a monkey wrench? Never mind. Google it. He'll throw, he'll throw all kinds of tricks at you. When you sign up to serve God, guess what? Literally, hell is going to break loose because you become a target and the enemy wants you to go down. So if you face persecution and you back off, it tells me that you're not called. But when you face persecution, you, you double down. You go full throttle. That tells me you're called. Let's stand. Worship team.